0: Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. Hi, I'm Sonia Lorea And we are so glad to have you guys for episode 47. It is the domination of man by things. And can how can we save the values of our democratic society? How, is it possible? We're also going to talk about the Texas school shooting that happened recently. Very sad. And how that's just a good example of how insanely sick our society has become. I think Sonia and I have both re- realized recently more and more how much it's really sad what's happening. Yeah. So uh, that's yeah. what's on the agenda for
1: episode 47. Yeah. it's uh, It's been a tough, uh, tough week, actually. With um, with the news, at least for me, I'm sure for a lot of people, I see. Um, and this is why the conversation we're having today is so important. Our, you know? Can we save the values of yes. our democratic society? It's very important. Um, right. Anyone who's probably listening to us or who's not, you know, living, I guess, off the grid, is going to know about the Texas shooting. So that happened in Uvalde, Texas. And um, there was, uh, I believe, the young man who went into the school was 18 years old. He had bought an R-15 and proceeded to murder uh, children and two teachers. And mm. I think the total, if I'm not mistaken, was like 22, t- between 20 and 22 people died. It was just horrific. Very, very sad. This is just becoming commonplace in our Society, specifically in the U.S., by the way, there's many countries yeah. that have arms and that um, they have mental health problems, which we have here. But this massacres, they don't happen. They're not rampant. Like, you know, we live with this. And there was another one. There was another one yesterday, too, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Really? And yes. At a, at a hospital. Four or five people died. Yeah.
0: Is that the first time it's been in a hospital? Because I don't remember hearing of that.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. Office. I know we've had it in schools, in churches, um, in malls, in nightclubs. I mean, it's just yeah. everywhere. Yeah, I told the other. Day, I had felt sort of anxious. I have an anxiety because of all these things, you know. Yeah. Uh, the world right now is up in turmoil. Um, the Ukraine issue, which people have been following, I'm sure. But this last thing, um, the shooting, was just so tragic.
0: Yeah, you know, Sonia, you shared with me when we had breakfast the other day, a little bit about that anxiety. I want to share a personal experience I had over Memorial Day weekend, too. Um, But I would love whatever you would would be willing to share about that. I think there's so many people who can relate to Mm -hmm. what you are feeling, especially in light of what we're talking about right now with shootings and... uh, Just so much, the the wars and everything that's happening. Right.
1: I I think um, it's like a calm, you know, a compilation, cumulative effect too, I would say, of everything happening. Like we went through that. We had a pandemic also that you and I were, you know, broadcasting through that with the podcast. So we've Mm -hmm. all kind of gone through this grief of a lot of loss within our lives and within the world. And then on top of it now, this whole, like, tragedy there's just tragedy after tragedy I just remember feeling this low level of anxiety of realizing gosh where are we safe and what's happening to our humanity mm. um you know do we where's the where why are we not living uh to take care of each other as opposed to just this non-stop consumerism that you and I talk about a lot and actually, the question you asked tonight is, "Can we save the values of our democratic society?" A good point I'll make is, in our country, I think the percentage is eighty percent or maybe more that people want uh, background checks with the guns, and they can't. We can't even pass that. So, yeah. are we really a government by the people for the people? Yeah. So it, it just yeah. And so to your to your question, mm. um, I just could feel this just sense of unease. And it was, you know, I, I want to differ that from being depressed. It's uh, it kind of, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's just, it was an anxiety and I'm feeling better, but I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people are feeling. That yeah, way. Cause I also think it comes and goes, you know, depending on what's happening. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I just think we're living in a really uh, unfortunate time.
0: Yeah. And I mean, was it more, was it more elevated in a way that it was like more noticeable than I'm just feeling
1: anxiety today. So, well, I know you're going to speak to this in a minute, but you know, I can tell you is that I was watching news. I was on my phone reading Mm. everything I could. I was kind of obsessed with getting more information, more information, more information. And then I just, just had to like disconnect from everything Mm. because it seemed, um, well, also, the, obviously, the facts of what happened, the knowledge of what was going on, and the fact that this, oh, that this just is like our normal life. Like, you're just going to wake up tomorrow and read about another shooting. You know, I mean, that's very sad. And then when you yes. think about the empathy of the suffering of people and you realize, hey, that could happen to me. I could go down to the Kroger or yes. somebody in my family or friends. It's just that reality mm-hmm. of how fragile life is And then you say, what are we doing? Like, why are we running around doing, wasting our time doing things that are about buying, you know, the next best thing as opposed to being part of community and, you know, as I said earlier, taking care of one another and enjoying life and music and I don't know, nature. And it just just seems crazy to me that. Yeah. um, that what we're, that you know these tragedies have to happen, and I don't I don't know what the future is going to look like. I hope hmm. for our sake that it's going to get better for the generations, obviously that are coming, you know, behind me. But um, yeah, so that's that just just feeling really it was really yeah. I was just feeling
0: that anxious. That, that reminds me of um, a, a news story I remember hearing from an independent news source several years ago before I found out about Andrew Yang and it was about shootings. And I, and I realized based on the, the story, I was like, wow, this is probably not going to get any better. And at some point in time, there's a very good chance that it will affect me more directly. You know, like it's going to be somebody that I know it could be me. It could be, you know what I mean? Because it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And, um,
1: oh, and you were a teacher. So can you
0: imagine being? Oh, oh yeah. Believe you would me. have
1: that responsibility.
0: Well, I mean, I sort of did. And part right. of the reason why I, I I was like, you know, we had to do active shooter drills whenever I was a teacher. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. I remember thinking to myself, because the last year I taught in public school, I was not teaching like in a classroom in a like a specific grade classroom. I was teaching at a library. So it was a special position, specific position. But anyway, my point is, is I had every single class in the school. So I didn't have the same relationship with those kids. So it it could be at any class at any time. And you know what a lot of kids do in specials class. They goof off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, I do not want to get into an active shooter situation. And these the kids are like, you know, not being quiet. And our life depends on it. And I'm like, yeah. I don't want to die in an active shooter situation. And even hearing
1: you use these words is so bizarre saying active shooter. Yeah. You would think like that that would be our vocabulary in this day and age. Like that's something when I was growing up, we wouldn't even, that's not even in my consciousness of saying active shooter.
0: Yeah.
1: It's like you're in a war. Wow. You know? Yeah. I mean, hearing you talk about it is kind of like, whoa, you know, because you were actually in that environment Mm -hmm. and that was part of the, a normal thing for you to learn. And and that's what they're realizing the psyche, like of kids growing up, Mm
0: -hmm. having
1: to know, like when they're kindergarten, in your kindergarten, you're going to school. Well, now if an active shooter comes in, this is what you have to do.
0: Welcome to America. This is what you can expect in our school. So
1: now, you know, you can imagine having that growing up. That's another added anxiety.
0: Well, I think it also speaks to the level of fear and fear-based propaganda, um, fear-based news that comes Mm -hmm. out. I mean, even your experience of feeling extreme or heavy or whatever you want to call it, anxiety, was in a the context of watching news, right? right and weren't in right. hearing. And from what I've heard, I've watched several videos. I've lived abroad before. I've watched several videos of people talking about the differences they see in the U.S. after living abroad. And one of the main things I hear is people saying how fearful we live. How fearful mm-hmm. it. There's a f- vibration, or not a vibration, but a vibe of fear that comes off of mm-hmm. the news. It's like. Yeah, you gotta and think about how kids grow up. That are like scared somebody's gonna come in and shoot them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's not a very safe feeling environment. You know? Yeah,
1: and the other big one also was the milk cartons of being like abducted by a stranger. Oh yeah. When that, those statistics actually are like very infinitesimal. But there was that message, like you said, the propaganda. So it's like, oh, I'm gonna be abducted by a stranger. <laughs> yeah. So I need it to be clear point.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. about the fear
0: that definitely helps in the whole creating an other narrative, creating um, a competitive spirit versus a cooperative spirit and a trusting, you know, that's one of the things I remember Mike white, Mike Viking, I think is how you say his name talks a lot about, about Denmark that people are trusting, you know, like they leave their babies in strollers outside right. of the store that they go in because they live a very, their culture is very much a trusting culture. And they say that the Danes are some of the happiest people in the world. I think that's a very good transition to some of the, some of the other countries that we've seen have incidents with gun violence. And then they make a law immediately.
1: Mm-hmm. Nothing else has happened,
0: but yet no, I
1: with, know. how that many is-
0: years in now, you know,
1: no, we we have a whole different political system, and it's not going to happen overnight. So, um, yeah, it's going to yeah. be it's going to be interesting. And tough. I think
0: I think it also speaks to a lot of isolation and loneliness, um, and lack of community. And it seems it might seem like very superficial for me to say that, especially in a culture where workism is so exalted. But I can say based on an experience I had over the weekend, which I'll share more about in a second, I have a new lens through which to view the value of community. And I think part of the reason why we have kids, teen, teenage kids going in and committing mass murder, I guess you could call it that, mass might be mm-hmm. a strong word, but multiple murders is because they feel so lonely and disconnected, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, at some point, I think we talked about this, you know, it's kind of like kids, kids want your attention. And if that means they do something that annoys the crap out of you <laughs> or is not good, you mm-hmm. know, it, or if it is good, they just they don't care. They want they need attention. And that's who we are as humans. We need each other. We need attention. And so I think you had mentioned something like it's also a way of like, I need connection with people, you know, for someone to go and do something as horrific as this. It's kind of like a, in a kind of like a not so nice way to, to cry for
1: help. Yeah, I, I would say probably our society and definitely our culture—we're suffering from an epidemic of um, alienation, isolation, loneliness, and yeah. people act differently with their with those sort of needs. Some people use alcohol, some people maybe do—you know—go shopping. There's all sorts of ways to deal with that, um, you know, suffering. Um, and the problem, I think, with the shootings. Statistically, they are uh, 70% are white males under the age of 18 and under. So that's a crisis, too, of, um, I don't know, of that segment of our population. Um, I think the individuals, I don't think you can always determine that someone's, you know, is going to snap and go and do that. But we don't live in a world that really supports the mental health part of all of us. I don't think we do personally. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think there's just there's tons of changes that need to come about, which we can spend many podcasts discussing that, whether it's the gun laws, mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so many things, background checks. But at the end of the day, yes, we are very isolated and very lonely. And it's sad because unfortunately there are individuals who are going to act out their rage or their, you know, anger or whatever it is they're carrying and they're going to hurt other people.
0: Yeah. That's a sad thing. Uh, I think, um, I don't think we realize how isolated we are. Um, and as much as we talk about these themes, we talk about these themes on the podcast, it's hard, I think, to really know what you're missing until you experience it. And, so I want to share a little bit about what I did over Memorial Day weekend because it's been so much more impactful than I thought it would be, and I don't know, like it was just so different from how we typically spend our everyday lives, um, and it and it made it made me realize, and it makes me realize how much we really are all living in such an isolated way and how that really does cause our physical bodies harm and our mental health, correct? But um, but anyway, so over the weekend, I went with my boyfriend to um, some family of his lake house in um, not too far from, from Atlanta. And um, Mo and I both are like, the kind of people who we love to not be on our phones as much as possible. And so it was easier there because we were like out in nature, you know, we're like right on the lake. Um, And of course we were with each other, which makes it a lot easier to not be on our phones. And then the folks that we were with are like family to him. And so they're like in their sixties. And Really, we sat down, we had meals together, family meals together, talking to each other face to face, you know, the whole time we played uh, board games and, you know, we laughed and we talked to each other. We got up early and watched the sunrise one morning, had coffee together. I mean, it was, I looked at my phone maybe four times over the weekend, maybe four times. It was so different. And then one night me and Mo stayed up um, and watched the stars, just sat out and looked at the stars and just talked to each other. And I mean, it was so refreshing and it was so different. And I can't even tell you how much better I feel. I don't even know how to (laughs) articulate it as far as like a sensation in my body. But, I just feel so much better. Uh, I feel happier. I feel heal more like, I feel like it was a healing weekend. And mm-hmm. I don't know that there was anything specifically that happened that was like, wow, I needed that or I didn't cry or, you know, But but I started to have memories of my childhood, remember things from my childhood while we were there. So it reminded me a lot of, you know, some of the great things about my own childhood, but I can absolutely see how just getting away from it, how the constant screens, the lack of com- like connection with each other. And instead of connecting with each other, just looking at our phone, looking at a screen, looking at a screen or being alone, just being alone. Like mm-hmm. I, I think I shared this with you, Sonia. Um, I, Have not been in the gym because I've had some injury stuff going on, and I haven't, I haven't gained weight like I did during the pandemic. Whenever I wasn't able to be in the gym, and I think it's, I think it's due to the fact that I have more support and a community element. I have more of a connection, you know, um, Mm -hmm. having a great relationship. So anyway, all these things really, really, really make a huge difference and it's really hard to to really feel what that feels like until there's an experience um nature it's healing
1: yes and i was so um you know excited to hear your story about memorial day because it's very to me nostalgic to hear of a time you know when we're not connected because there was an era that we didn't have all this, you know, we didn't have the technology. And while it's brought us some positive things, the other side of that is exactly what you're saying, that we're so connected that we don't really get, um, we don't get out in the world. And I think we don't appreciate the fact that the planet, as we know, I mean, we're not exactly taking care of it. And you were out in the environment and you could just be in nature, which is, I think, extremely necessary for all people. You know we rely on on nature and I think mm. being out there it, it definitely forces you to like you're saying have alone time appreciate um the the water the sky the stars things that are free you know that we're not yeah going to to shop for but uh, i'm so glad that you shared that and i would say there's people out there who yeah who are doing the same thing. And there's others who, who need to go do that.
0: Yeah. I need to do it more. I want to do it more. I was thinking about this the other day. It reminds me of a thought that I had about how I was sitting in traffic and on seventy five, eighty five, And I was like, wow. I was thinking about my experience from the weekend. And I was like, nature has become a commodity. It's like a privilege. It's It's like like
1: a privilege to be. You're right. It is. You have to
0: be able to pay for it. If you, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just so different than how we've, we yeah. live for most of um, yeah. human history. So, <sighs> yeah, crazy stuff. The last thing I'll say is I think that, you know, talking about the shooting stuff and the kids, social media I think has a lot to do with it. And I just think how busy we are and how easy it is to for kids to feel isolated and neglected mm-hmm. because of how busy we all are. I don't think that helps with the, you know, getting getting onto YouTube, getting onto rabbit trails, getting kind of brainwashed into thinking we need to like free a, a certain, you know, group of people or get rid of a certain group. Like,
1: it's just. Oh, right, 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 yeah. right, right. Yeah. There's just, there's all sorts of stuff out there. And unfortunately, yeah, it's very easy, I think, for the youth to be, you know, for adults. And then you think about young people getting sucked into the uh, Instagrams, the YouTubes, the TikTok, all that. I mean, the key there too is you're not, we're not getting rid of it, but I think you definitely need a balance. And unfortunately not everybody is living that balanced life, you know? Yeah.
0: Yes. Very, very true.
1: Well, before we jump
0: into our content, which is, I'm very excited about, Sonia, I wanted to see if you wanted to mention briefly about, um, Dr. Governor Mate, because we talked about that recently and it is so much like one of our previous episodes that I want to look that up while you're telling them, because I want to be able to tell them which episode to check out. Okay.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah. Dr. Governor Mate is a psychologist and Lacey had introduced me to him. He's just phenomenal. And I saw a little clip today, just a 15 minute clip where he spoke actually about the very, um, points that we brought up about being isolated, that we are suffering, um, as a society, because we're disconnected from one another, we're disconnected from work, we're disconnected from ourselves. And that in turn, because we are obsessed with material things over human connection and what that does to us, you know, physically, emotionally. And it's a, it's a really good, um, sort of summary of exactly what, what Eric Fromm talks about in all of these episodes or the majority of our episodes, I'd say, the having and being. And, um, he points out that, that, you know, that, that that's kind of like a, uh, it's an illness. It's a sickness in our society. And that is what we're actually going to be talking about today also.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not finding it, um, the, oh. episode, I know there's one that we talked specifically about how From talks about alienation. We do have an episode alienation, bureaucracy, and consumption, which okay. has been one of our, of our higher listens. Um, so I, we may that might be it, but I don't know. I haven't, I didn't look into details. So, but a lot
1: of our, a lot of the episodes are um, that we've done. The From ones will will bring that those themes up. I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: For sure. Well, we are back in the same Society, um, and we're in this section where Sprome is talking about other diagnoses, other ways that we could diagnose our society being sick and how it is. And I really like this section of this chapter because what he does is he quotes... Different people from two centuries, the 19th and the 20th century, mm-hmm. have written about the same topic. Um, one of them actually uh, at the end is more of a conservative um, and a supporter of capitalism, which is pretty cool to hear someone who may not be thinking the same as Fromm. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, different different folks, R.H. Tawney, Elton Mayo, mm-hmm. F. Baum. Lewis Mumford, A.R. Heron, and then at the end he talks about some fiction writers, Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World, Um, and so that's kind of, you know, where we're kind of an outline of kind of what we'll be talking about today, and I'm telling you, I've been, I was blown away by some of the stuff that he has quoted in here from the 20th century writers.
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, It's just, it almost feels like I'm reading something really contemporary because of the principles that they discuss, you know, um, one of the things I think that stood out to me is the importance of industry. Um, They talk about uh, that industry itself has come to hold a position of exclusive predominance among human interests, Mm -hmm. which no single interest and least of all the provision of the material means of existence is fit to occupy. So it's mm. this obsession with um with the in, with industry which is something that you and I have mm. talked about many times here.
0: I like this uh point because I I've even processed that a little bit recently. Like I I observe us in day-to-day life and I'm like wow, we're in a hurry to get from here to here, from here to here. Everything revolves around buying selling, consumption, 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 or or production, production, production. And production, why? Because people need to consume, you know? And it's like our whole world, our whole, not world, because it's not like this in every country, but our whole um, society here in the US is about, okay, work has to happen. So we have to do this and we have to do this and we have to, it just controls. It's like we're being drug around on a
1: on a conveyor leash. belt.
0: <laughs> yeah, or a conveyor belt. But yeah. on a leash by by the demands of production and consumption. And that is the highest valuable, that's the most valuable thing.
1: Yeah, well, that's what keeps the economy humming, correct? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think um yeah, they talk about that in our actual living we have inadvertently allowed pursuit of economic development to lead us in a condition of extensive social disintegration.
0: Mm.
1: We're experiencing that now. Page 219, by the way. Okay. I... At the top? Bottom.
0: Okay. Bottom? Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and, and it goes on to say it is probable that the work a man does represents his most important function in the society. Mm -hmm. But unless there is some sort of integral social background to his life, he cannot even assign a value to his work.
0: Yeah, that was Durkheim.
1: Durkheim, right.
0: Yeah. He says, just as our political and economic studies have for 200 years tended to take account only of the economic functions involved in living. So also in our actual living, we have inadvertently allowed pursuit of economic development. To lead us in a condition of extensive social disintegration, yes, that's what you were saying, mm, right? And and let's just pause and just read that a little slower. It's led us to led us to lead us in a condition of extensive social disintegration. Wasn't there? You told me a, about a study about two different groups of people who ate the same.
1: Um, well, it was, well, I I'm going to give you actually I hold it up here. So I'll tell you, it's an ongoing Harvard study. Uh-huh. And it's considered one of the world's longest studies of adult life. It uh, started in 1938 during the great depression. And the study showed the people who fared the best were people who leaned into relationships with family and friends with community, mm. something that we, um, and so I need to get more of the details because I remember the part of the study where they took, uh, if I'm correct, two different groups who lived kind of in the same, let's say it's the same state, but your one is community focused. And they're basically have the same diet and same habits where the other one, um, does not, is more like an alienated society. And those people were mm-hmm. dying, were dying, you know, earlier than the group that had the community. So, that speaks to what we've talked about—the social, the social uh, disintegration. Yeah. What man really needs, and what we know is, we're social animals, and we need yes. that connection. So the capitalistic society that we mm. have created—the extreme, to me, capitalistic society—is damaging to our health, to our, you know, lives. We literally die earlier. And, and we're also just in this kind of alienated state, Whereas you're saying, we're just running around doing, trying to do one thing and then the other, and it's kind of the same circle, buy, sell, buy, sell, you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. And not feeling present, not even being present, you know, and able to just concentrate. Like, I think that's one of the biggest um, indicators that we are on autopilot. We're not able to concentrate. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, that is if you can't just be here right now, which is one of the things that I think is, was so impactful about the weekend with, with this family and with Mo is like, we were all here. We weren't having a hard time concentrating. We weren't going, Oh yeah, that's a great idea you know what I mean? On our phone oh, and they right. couldn't remember what we were talking about. We were here. And that's different. That's very different than how a lot of folks are today, no matter their age, but definitely I would say more so the younger generation, you know, than right. the older generation.
1: You know, I was thinking of something you were talking about now when you're with people and you're having conversations, it's it's a real habit that if you're talking about a topic or there's a question, someone immediately starts looking it up. So they, to me, you know, you're removed from that conversation. Now you're in your other space and you're still, you're not part of the group. As you were telling that you guys were not looking at phones. You are just looking at each other and having a conversation. Right. And that's really, doesn't happen anymore. Rare, or rarely, I should say doesn't, but rarely.
0: Happens. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's rare. It's becoming a lost art. And another thing that I noticed was just storytelling. Like, I think that um, what I noticed about them was that they both, especially the husband, um, did, a, did an excellent, not did an excellent job, but he he just told stories and was animated with telling stories and about his own past experience. And it's something I've experienced with other folks Actually, the guy that drove the Yang 2020, um, what was the bus, the bus that we did, mm-hmm. the bus tour in Iowa, he was an older guy and just just great, so such personality, and just shared stories with us. And I mean, this is, I think, obviously, this is how we entertained ourselves <laughs> yeah. um, before, before TV before and had
1: that, that social media,
0: <laughs> but so much more, like, wholesome,
1: you know what I mean? But absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah, And I think I, the idea of, of conversation is that you have a connection with people, mm. you know, it's it's a completely different experience to be, um, I mean, with a screen and even to me, even when you're texting and you're trying to do that connection, it's not the same. No, not the same. No, 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 it's not the same. So so we're definitely yeah, we're in a space that's um, for sure. Well, we tough now.
0: It is. It's very different. Well, we got the title of this uh, episode from um, something that was written in this chapter by um, that, that from quotes by R. H. Tommy. And he mm-hmm. he actually wrote this book called The Acquisitive Society, which has been on my list to get. Um, but he he says that he points to the fact that the principle on which capitalistic society is based is the domination of man by things. And he says, in our society, even sensible men are persuaded, th- this is interesting, that capital employs labor, um, but labor consists of persons and capital of things. The only use of things is to be applied to the service of, per- of persons.
1: That's really the way it, it's that's really, me. isn't that the point? It's for, for us.
0: us. It's about us. us, right?
1: Right, right. Right. Um, no, I love that. yeah, I see I know what you're saying about, Tawny. I see um further on, too, that they say that I really like, um is that they talk about this is this is Tannenbaum that uh, Tawny mm-hmm. also quotes from a book called Philosophy of Labor. Yeah. The major error of the last century has been the assumption that a total society can be organized upon an economic motive upon profit. yeah, and that's the other theme is that it's all about the the economics and this is really what's gotten us to the place where we are today i think
0: i wrote that out in my journal that whole thing i didn't even like put page whatever read it i wrote it it out out. okay (laughs) i'll show you and i wrote "damn." and i don't know if you can see it
1: oh Oh, yeah hang on Uh uh-huh
0: oh wait is Is that that the right side oh no the wrong side (laughs) there it is See
1: there i see yes 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 that's such a
0: serious one and he also says that because the corporation can offer only bread and cake it has proved incompetent to meet the demands for the good life dude most people this nowadays would not tell you that they would not say
1: that well there was an award-winning uh play in that they quote in this chapter called the death of a salesman by arthur miller and mm-hmm. you were asking me about it. So, my memory, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard of this, it's really about this guy who he's just in a dead end kind of job. He's in this sales job that is just, it really goes to the heart of being just de- de- despondent. Like, he's just mm. like, he's just going like every day. It's, it's. I remember seeing it as pretty impactful. That's why it won awards <laughs> because it's just this, like, you're just this machine. You're just doing like he. It's literally he's a salesman. Yeah. And so they explore all the themes of that. It's like an existential. You know, what is my life about? Wow. And so they actually quote that um, the emptiness, falsehood, decep- self deception. Excuse me, an emptiness is perhaps what made Death of a Salesman so poignant to the metropolitan to an American audiences that witness this. And I think because people could relate to that. Yeah. You know, yeah. of this um, way that we were now living and it's not, a, you know, work that you're enthusiastic about. You're just going every day. Yes. Continue this tedium, this kind of life. Yes.
0: And actually that's a great transition because I mentioned earlier that one of the folks that he quotes in this chapter is A.R. Heron, who was a, a supporter of capitalism. So he wasn't a socialist. He wasn't a anarchist. Mm-hmm. He was you know, more conservative, more of a conservative, um, but definitely more conservative than the ones that he had quoted so far. And he had a quote that was really so profound um, that had to do with that exact thing, the link to the death of a salesman. I'm going to find it. Um, He says, It is fantastic to picture a great multitude of workers committing mass suicide because of boredom, a sense of futility and frustration. But the fantastic nature of the picture disappears when we broaden our concept of suicide beyond the killing of the physical life of the body. The human being who has resigned himself to a life devoid of thinking, ambition, pride, and personal achievement has resigned himself to the death of attributes, which are distinctive elements of human life. Filling a space in the factory or office with his physical body, making motions designed by the minds of others, applying physical strength, or releasing power, re- releasing the power of the steam, of steam or electricity are not in themselves contributions of the essential abilities of human beings. And wow. yeah, he says the part of this task is assigned assigned to management. This is a little bit further on. He talks about like what needs to change in the corporations. He says the part of this task assigned to management is the provision of working conditions, which will release the creative instinct of every worker and which will give play to his divine human ability to think.
1: Yeah. I have that highlighted that whole part that you read previously, but that that's huge. And the fact, like you said, he was, a big advocate of capitalism.
0: Right. And what I want to say to this is like something, a theme that's been jumping out at me as I've been reading lately has been how important creativity is Mm -hmm. um, for a quality of life. Um, And it's something that I have just made a, a weekly goal or a weekly priority a couple of times a week to just like paint something, or I have these pattern blocks that I got whenever I was uh, teaching that I still have from, you know, and, um, you know, painting or reading or what have you, whatever way being creative, I've been, I've actually written some poetry, just willy nilly, you know, because what I'm learning is what gets so shut down in our society. That's so bureaucratic and so automa- automated. Basically, we've become automatons, like Frome says, and we're we're just kind of on autopilot. That's what gets lost, and so much of our well being is uh, is is locked up in us being able to be autonomous, which requires our own creativity or vice versa. And so that's just something that I think is really, really interesting and talks about like how creativity is vital and how much corporate jobs really crush that creativity.
1: Yeah, I would agree. The creativity, you know, what's interesting about that is one thing that is hard, I think for people to do, including myself, but I've tried to to incorporate in this in my thinking is they say to go back to when you're a child and think of something that you like doing, not something that's going to earn income, not something that there's like, you have to be productive, but what did you like to do? It could be very simple. It could be a very simple thing that you enjoyed. It could be coloring. It could be, um, you know, playing a certain game, but that is kind of unleashes just allowing yourself to have those moments see your point Lacey of creativity actually is what brings joy yeah. and happiness to people but that's really sort of an anathema to me it's kind of like the opposite of what we're sort of taught to do right because yeah. the whole idea and I'm guilty of this is this productivity productivity you know the to-do list and there's got to be like a reason that I'm doing something. It's not just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and stare at the trees, you know, like that's not productive, you know?
0: it's Yeah, but that's what we think. But it's so productive. I mean, man, I remember just being at the, you know, over the weekend, just looking at the stars and feeling like, man, I just feel so connected. Like I'm a part of the stars and the stars are a part of me. And that might sound so silly, but it felt, Wow. I don't know. We really kind of are
1: all a part of each other, you know? Right. And and to your point, I think if people um were more connected that the be- there would be better choices made. Right? That we see mm. that we're all connected to nature. And so yeah. we wouldn't be dealing with all the problems we're having on the planet now because we're very disconnected. Yeah because we go back to the corporate situation and the, you know, making the money and, you know, being productive to the scale of obviously to the capitalist um, definition of that.
0: Right, man. Hmm.
1: But yeah, the, um, it goes on. I mean, you've listed a lot of the authors that they talk about here. They talk about Huxley's uh, brave new world. Um, they talk about 1984, actually 1984 is mentioned, which I'm sure when that was written, people wouldn't have imagined that actually we have come to that place. Yeah. Um, and the other term here that you and I talked about tonight was uh, totalitarianism.
0: Oh yeah. We did talk about this. They talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And mm. I think uh, that term can be I guess misconstrued because when you think of totalitarianism you think of like Mussolini and Hitler yeah. and it's more during that era but actually there have been articles and I was researching it before we came on that they link you know some of our uh, our culture and the way we are with corporate t- corporatism, I guess would be the word is they also put that um, some of these authors in the box of totalitarianism. Which, you know, that definition, I think you wanted me to read the definition. Yes, um, because t-
0: yeah, that it just stood out to me that they used the word totalitarianism because I'm like,, mm, that's a strong word. But then I was like, well, that probably throws people off because we're probably uh, kind of propagandized into thinking that that's just this some far off thing. But what what is totalitarianism? Well, the,
1: the adjective is relating to a system of government that is centralized and dictatorial and requires complete subservience to the state. So that's what we think of traditionally. But if you look, if you break that down, the dictatorial can come in a different form. You could have a corporation be dictatorial. You could have a leader be dictatorial but the people the masses don't really know because they've bought into the propaganda that you and i've talked about whatever the messaging is Mm. there's elements of that and what i find interesting today is i think our democracy is definitely at stake you know i i think we are Mm. seeing that there are problems with our system yes i'm a total i'm on board with for having a democracy don't get me wrong but i also see the benefits of elements of a socialist society where yeah. we're taking, we're, where we're inclusive of community and, and the needs of people. And I know that you and I have similar views on some of these things. We've talked about universal basic income and other, other ideas that um, because we've chased after the profit and that the corporation is kind of the, the that, that is your like who's dictating your life. I think yeah. there are elements that we have to examine that are very similar to um, totalitarianism.
0: Yeah. And I mean, um, Noam Chomsky wrote about this in a book called Manufacturing Consent. Um, you know, I've, I've heard it said like, it's one, it's, you know, we're kind of hypnotized into totalitarianism. It's a, it's an overt, not a covert Um total or a covert, not an overt totalitarianism in the way of like, we're kind of shown all these messages by media, social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'd say, you know, having to be somewhere at a certain time every single day um, to be able to survive is definitely um, pretty controlling You know? Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think we can see it in so many elements of our society. We've seen the disintegration of like religious institutions, where you have faith leaders that are like almost many dictators within their orbit. You see it in so so many aspects of society. Mm. You know, we we tend to think we're we're more liberated than we are. We're also influenced so much by the social media's companies. You yeah, know, that's another example of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I, I don't think that, you know, it's it's kind of like being, what is it, the frog in the boiling water? You know, like you're in the water nah. and then it starts to it starts to happen. Um no, slowly but surely. And that's kind of what we're the times that we're living in. Um but I, I think the interesting thing about this, you said the chapter was kind of depressing, but uh I would say one thing that I was taking away from it is that how important it is our relation to our relationship to society, the individual to society. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's something that I'm seeing more and more in all, in the themes of what, you know, of what I'm reading here and from.
0: Yes. Yeah. There's one other part. I know we're, we're getting close to wrapping up here, um, that I wanted to read and it's yeah. right, Elton Mayo. Um, from the it's top of t- page two twenty, and he says the failure of workers and supervisors to understand their work and working conditions, the widespread sense of personal futility is general to the civilized world and not merely characteristic of Chicago. Uh, the belief of the individual in his social function and solidarity with the group, his capacity for collaboration in work. These are disappearing, destroyed in part by rapid scientific and technical advance. With this belief, his sense of security and well-being also vanishes, And he begins to manifest those exaggerated demands of life, um, which Durkheim H- has described. So he says, in the material and scientific spheres, we have been careful to develop knowledge and technique. In the human and socio-political, we have contented ourselves with haphazard guesses and opportunistic fumbling. Basically, we haven't done any research on how to continue to develop and grow in the socio-political world. And we're just, we're, we still have this system that's not working for us. And we haven't put any effort in trying to fix it, change it.
1: Now, I, I remember reading that, you know, what really stuck out to me where he says, destroyed in part by rapid scientific and technical advance. And I think mm. that this was an era they didn't, you know, have the internet. So it, he's already, you know, imagining where we're going with this. Dang. And also the part that you said that we didn't, we haven't uh, developed uh, the human and sociopolitical, you know, that we are doing haphazard guess and opportunist fumbling. And well, we know where that has landed us or where we're at oh. today.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, before we go, I do want to mention, because one of the questions we teased at the top was how can we save the values of our democratic society? And one of the writers here, um, says that how is by changing the values of, um, corporations. Yeah. And so I think that that's really key. Um, I want to find that and, and read it. And if you want to say anything on it, um, Let's you know let's do it
1: yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of we're in that space where that's being reexamined. Uh, I, I brought this up to you today. there's incredible greed we know with corporations and with uh, the CEOs and it's almost a matter of to me survival in the sense of what kind of world do we want to live in and I think when um, the microscope is put on some of these individuals that have this amass this great wealth at the benefit of those, you know, less fortunate, like those that are underneath them, um, mm. you can see the disparity. So I think I, I do believe, I do believe that a shift is going to come. I just don't know when and how long it's going to take um, for us to get there, you know, mm-hmm. but I do think um, it, it it's, it's necessary for basically for, you know, our su- survival. Oh, I found it here. Yay, if, the, if the corporation is to survive, it will have to be endowed with a moral role in the world, not merely an economic one.
0: Mm, okay. Which, which page is that?
1: Page 221 at the bottom.
0: Okay. I'm close. close.
1: And, okay, yeah. Okay. You want to keep going? No. Yeah. Go, ahead, go ahead. It yes, is a route, perhaps the only available one for saving the values of our democratic society and the contemporary industrial system as well.
0: Yes. So basically the corporation needs to be something more than a profit maker. Exactly. Yeah. It's got to have a different role in addition to what it's doing, because if it's just an economic one, our democratic values are going to go down the tubes. And maybe they already have Mm -hmm. um, because profit, profit, profit above all else. Bottom line. Yeah. Last thing. I love this. Um, So he, Lewis Mumford, who wrote um, the acquisitive society. um, This is a quote from him. He says, in the end, such a civilization can produce only a mass man incapable of choice, incapable of spontaneous self-directed activities At best, patient, docile, disciplined to monotonous work to an almost pathetic degree, but increasingly irresponsible as his choices become fewer and fewer. Finally, a creature governed mainly by his conditioned reflexes, the ideal type desired by, by the advertising agency and the sales organizations of modern business. Or by the propaganda office and the planning bureaus of totalitarian and quasi totalitarian governments. Their highest virtue is they do not stick their necks out, they don't risk, they don't create. That yes. is wow. Yeah. Wow.
1: I remember that. Anyway,
0: I don't want to live like that, Tonya. I want to be capable of spontaneous, self-directed activities. I want to be capable of creativity. Um, I want to do the things that lead me to that because I don't think um, many of the things that are a part of modern life, it doesn't seem like it leads us down that path.
1: No, no. Well, you got to keep doing weekends like you did.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. You got to come with me. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: okay <laughs> yeah that'll be fun oh well guys thanks so much for being with us tonight yes. we hope you enjoyed the the podcast if you did and you watched us on youtube we would love for you to hit the like button leave us a comment uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts and respond back to you and we hope you guys have a wonderful night and we will see you next time yes. on the rethinking humanity podcast
1: bye guys